0: Objects to observe in the June 2023 night sky on episode 330 of the actual astronomy podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So before we hop into the objects this month, Shane, did you get any observing in recently?
1: No, um, and I'm I'm upset about that, Chris, <laughs> because we've had good conditions uh it's just uh we were in uh we were in Calgary supporting uh my niece in her national volleyball uh tournament. And uh between that and then just prepping for you know leaving to another province and yeah and all of that, just didn't have a lot of time, unfortunately. So I'm I'm disappointed, but I know I'll have many more nights uh, you know, this summer. Yeah, I'm feeling that a little bit. I get out a bit, but
0: not as much as I would otherwise, cause I'm in the same boat by the time this comes out. Of course, I'll be back, but we're recording this before I leave. And I'm leaving to go to another province as well for a couple of weeks here and trying to do the recordings of the podcast is trying to get my cabin set up before I go and start a construction on a project out there with our local contractor. And just like the list just goes on and on and on everything conspiring against the astronomy. But I did get one good night in though. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, what were some of the highlights? Some of the highlights were C and Venus and M35 Mm. together in the sky was pretty cool. Yep. And had a nice look at M44 and M67 in the new Explorer Science 17 millimeter, 92 degrees was a pretty spectacular view. I do really like that eyepiece.
1: Okay. Are you envisioning? like maybe using the Nagler 22 less because of this eyepiece, or do they both have their own sort of place or, or utility?
0: Yeah, I think they both have their own place. They're both equally super neat eyepieces. The other, the thing with this one is it is a bit weighty and there's gonna be some times where it will be the uh, Nagler 22 that I'll probably select. This eyepiece though makes me wanna have a bigger scope. I want this eyepiece to be more powerful like I said, I really wish they would make one in like a six millimeter or an eight millimeter or something. I think that would really be the sweet spot for, for this eyepiece with smaller scopes, but it makes me want to have like a 16 inch telescope. Cause I think this 17 and a 16 inch telescope would just be absolutely a match made in heaven. It's just such a awesome, awesome wide field eyepiece.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I still haven't looked through that, but I I'm excited too. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, up until this point, I you know I I think I've said it before, like the hundred degree uh, eyepieces just don't appeal to me, and I think part of that was because of bad eye relief. So I'm I'm really curious about this one.
0: Yeah, it's I've never looked through an eyepiece like this. It's an entirely different experience. So unlike other wide field eyepieces, where you're looking sort of into the eyepiece and and really, in many respects, uh, virtually every other eyepiece you'll ever look into, this has that floating effect. Uh, like the only other eyepiece I've ever seen that has this is that Edmund 28mm RKE. And it's very similar to that. In fact, I think this one is done even a little bit better than that Edmund eyepiece. And uh, yeah, it's just really cool. I did do one of my sketches I did do with it, I think didn't I? Yeah. The sketch I did of the planetary nebula 4361, I end up putting these in the notes here, which is a planetary nebula right almost in the middle of that squished square of Corvus. And I did this this sketch with that eyepiece and an O3 filter. And it really was a beautiful, huge wide field of view. Just a really neat eyepiece.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I am i can't wait to look through it. It just sounds amazing.
0: Yeah. Also had a look at NGC 2903, which is a galaxy just up in the northwestern corner of Leo. Had about 60 power on that. Wish I had a little bit more. That is a huge galaxy. Not sure if you've ever seen that one. Yeah, I don't think I have. It's pretty big. It's a, it's a bright galaxy. I think it's like eight. Eight point something magnitude, almost ninth. Okay, but that's fairly bright for a large galaxy, and you, I could start to see structure even in my five inch.
1: Hmm, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I couldn't quite. There's like some spiral arms on the edge. I think I've seen, and like Mike's scope, I think they jump out pretty easily. But I couldn't quite get them. But I could see like this core that had like these sort of dark lanes and brighter center, and that sort of thing. Kind of looks like uh, sometimes those. Sort of rectangular croissants that you get if you looked at it n wise.
1: <laughs> well, okay, good description. <laughs>
0: yeah, and then I had a nice view of Messier 68, which was uh, pretty low down. And I actually think there was like haze or something cutting across it while I was looking because I had sort of half resolved the northern half, but then I was doing some reading. And I guess in smaller scopes, I guess the northern half can resolve a little bit easier than the southern half. And whereas it's so low, I'm just barely able to resolve some of those stars. But anyway, kind of neat. Yeah, very cool. Did those as sketches for the galaxy M68, the globular cluster there just below Corvus and the planetary Planetary nebula 4361 using that white chalk on black paper technique. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it was kind of fun to try that. It's very difficult to take the photos of this. The paper gets super washed out, almost gets like a yellowish tint to it. But I was talking to Alexander Massey this week, and he was giving me some advice on maybe how to take better photos of this. But kind of boils down to not putting the paper down directly opposite of the light source. You kind of got to hang it up and do it at an angle anyway. Give it a try later. Mm -hmm. Let's see. We're recording this early. These are notes that I made up on May 5th, which seems wild because. It's just about a month ahead of when we'll release this episode.
1: Yeah, well, you know, sometimes we have to get creative to accommodate vacation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there we go. So the whole month of June, we're still going to have Venus. Venus is coming up upon its uh, greatest elongation there on the 4th. But on June 1st, we have Venus, Castor, and Pollux. Actually, I've I've been following Mars was in this alignment here earlier where Mars lined right up with Castor and Pollux, and it's just sort of past the alignment now. And then Venus, due to its uh, sort of backwards motion against the stars, it's it's going to form the same uh, lineup that, that Mars was just in. And it, although I got to say that in the graphic, and I put the graphic in, in the graphics and in the star charts, it doesn't really look like much. But when you go out under the night sky, it looks pretty cool. Like when Mars was sitting there, it almost made it look like a bigger belt of Orion or something like that. And then uh, just as it approached that sort of alignment, I think about three or four days before, it made it look almost like the handle of the Big Dipper. And I was really taken aback when I looked up one night. I went, why is the Big Dipper there? We've got big problems. But uh, no, it was just uh, Mars. But now Venus is getting into that same position as we get close to the start of June. And we'll make some of those same formations pretty neat to see. Yeah. Awesome. Mars is making its way through M44 during the first few nights this month. I think that's going to be neat. I put Mm -hmm. a graphic in here, actually ran across this just when I was running my software, when we did the objects to observe in May, and I was just surprised to see where Mars ended up at the end of May. And so, you know, This, I think the episode itself is going to come out rated about June 1st, but if you can, like people should try to get out and take a look at Mars because it's going to be right in front of the beehive cluster, uh, over the first few, I think three or four nights of June, it's going to make its way across, could make a really cool photo series of sketches. Uh, people should get out and try to take a look.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is any time you have a planet lined up with, you know, a, a brighter deep sky object, like pretty much, you know, the, a lot of the Messiers, particularly these big open clusters, it's quite beautiful. Um, so this is a great opportunity.
0: Which is good because June 3rd is full moon. So on those nights just preceding and, and just after full moon, it's pretty difficult to make any deep sky observations and we're pretty much getting into perpetual twilight by that mm-hmm. point in time for us anyway. And I'm kind of fingers crossed that these fires that are burning to our north settle down by then, not only for the sky conditions, but also uh, the terrible impact they're having on people that live just just to our north here, right? Eh?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And the long-term forecast is a hot, dry summer. So I suspect we might be, uh, unfortunately, having to deal with forest fires. And then you know the, the outcome, which is smoke.
0: Yeah, I was really uh, surprised that the north is is so uh, tinder dry because we had so much late season snow and, and moisture that came down around here. But I was talking to somebody today and they'd been talking to somebody who farms up there. And I guess once you get much past uh, Saskatoon, things dry up pretty quick, it sounds like. Hmm. As I said, June 3rd is the full moon. June 4th is Venus at its greatest elongation. And that's going to be in the evening sky, of course. And it's 45 degrees away from the sun course. Uh, sunset's pretty late on these nights, but Venus is going to be nice and high, making for a great time to go out in the early evening sky, get the telescope set up and take a look at Venus or look at it through the telescope. I actually took a photo of Venus through my telescope and that 17-millimeter, 92-degree eyepiece just for fun because it was so easy to get the camera lens lined up with the exit pupil of that eyepiece. I couldn't resist. Cool. June 6th, asteroid 11 Parthenope is at opposition, shining dimly at magnitude 9.3. Parthenope was discovered by Annabelle de Gasperi's on 11th of May, 1850, and named after Parthenope, who is one of the sirens of Greek mythology, said to have found at the city of Naples, it orbits the sun every 3.84 Earth years and has a rotational period of 13.7 days. And it's 153 kilometers in diameter. So it's down there just beside Sabic, just to the west of Sabic in the constellation of Ophiuchus. So could be a neat one for people to track down and maybe take photos of or sketch it over a series of nights and see it meandering around the stars there. Cause that's just on the edge of the Milky way there on Ophiuchus. So pretty, pretty good challenge for people to pick that one out of the background stars, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know a lot about asteroids and I don't observe them that much. So I've never actually heard of this one before. Um, and at a magnitude 9.3, uh, you know, even inside a a city, you know, it's not a bad or it's not a bad uh, object to give a try.
0: Yeah. A small telescope in the city can find this. One of the reasons why I put them in is that for those that are in the city, I think they make intriguing targets because here you are, you're seeing a whole different world. It rotates pretty quick just in the space of two weeks. And then, um, or I guess not really that quick because takes about two weeks to do a full rotationary period, uh, but it's only 153 kilometers in diameter, and I think we're all familiar with about how long that is. I'm guess I think it's like around 120 miles. So it's something that we can travel, you know, in the in the form of uh, vehicular travel in just a couple hours easily. And when we think about that kind of distance being not really a, a vast distance on Earth. Here you are looking at an object that's only that large in diameter. It's actually a very small object. I mean, we wouldn't want to collide with Earth or anything, and it's not gonna, Mm -hmm. but I just think it's really neat to take a look at these things and then realize how small they are, yet you can see them. Magnitude 9.3, a pretty good pair of like 10 by 50 binoculars is going to be able to see that from the city and from the country. Pretty much any binocular is going to be able to see it. Yeah, very cool. June 10th, we have the last quarter moon paired with Saturn. For those of us much further east than us, Shane, unfortunately, it's uh, pretty far away uh, for us by the time uh, Saturn and the moon rise over our horizons. But if people are out on the east coast, I think they're going to get a nice pairing of the moon
1: and Mars on the morning of June 10th. Do you know if Europe has an opportunity for that or...
0: No, maybe it's hard to run it for all places all the time, but, uh, yeah, people should give it a go. I mean, it will be on the other side, I think Mm -hmm. for places like Spain and England, I think they kind of get a similar view as we do, but it's on the other side. It's, it's the moon is sort of just, uh, preceding Saturn in the morning sky for them. Okay. People can give it a shot though. I mean, I still think it's kind of neat it's still within a 10 degree field of view for us. So if you have like some of the super wide field instruments like Shane and I have, you can see them in the same field of view at the same time. So well worth it. Both for sure. Eight degrees apart, I think for us, or maybe seven and a half degrees apart for us. So it's going to be maybe like six and a half or six degrees for Western Europe. Mm -hmm. June 13th, Venus and the beehive. So where we had Mars and the beehive at the very beginning of the month, Venus is just outside the beehive. Now, it's not going to traverse the beehive. And even though the beehive is much brighter than M35, uh, people should know Venus will wash out those stars pretty quickly. So uh, you'll want to catch it as it's sort of approaching and then see those stars. But It's going to be a binocular sight to see Venus and the beehive on the evening of June 13th. Again, it doesn't go right across the beehive like Mars does early in the month, but it's going to sort of skirt the very, very far uh, northern edge of the beehive cluster. But pretty neat to kind of see that anyway.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: June 14th, Jupiter is going to be 1.5 degrees to the right of the moon in the morning sky. For people that are much further... East than us. So we get it about four degrees away. So really low power wide field telescope or good pair of binoculars to see Jupiter and the moon together. June 16th, take this Friday off so you can stay up all night on Thursday because you're going to have the uh, 20 Masala asteroid at opposition at 9.9 magnitude. And this way you can see uh, that asteroid Uh, Again, this was an asteroid discovered by Italian astronomer Annabelle de Gaperi, and that was on the 19th of September, 1852, named after the French city of (laughs) Marseille, from which the independent discoverer Jean Jarcognac cited it the following night. It's a stony asteroid and the parent body of the Messala family of objects located in the inner region of the asteroid belt. It's about 145 degrees. 145 kilometers in diameter and takes about 3.74 years to orbit the sun. And that's sort of on the other side of Ophiuchus and right in the summer Milky Way, just approaching the Lagoon Nebula. So might be a tough one to hunt down at 9.9 magnitude, but I thought I would throw that in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, another somewhat challenging object that is, you know, possible from a light polluted area. So always like that.
0: Morning of the 16th, we have the 27.9-day-old moon. So this is why I think people should should stay out all night on late Thursday night, overnight into Friday. Those are pretty short nights anyway. Take a look. Find that asteroid. Because on the morning of the 16th, Friday the 16th, that's a 27.9-day-old moon that's only 3% illuminated for us. And four degrees high, it's going to be a little bit easier in the east where it's not quite as old and maybe as much as five or six percent illuminated on the east coast. But I think even for us, this this could be a doable observation to see about as old a moon as you can see. I have seen a three percent illuminated moon before and it is fantastic. I'm not sure if you've ever seen one that old before, Shane, but it's pretty spectacular.
1: Yeah. Um I I don't know if I've seen a three percent, hard to say.
0: I went out to to even just see if I could see it. I used to observe the old moons. The, I didn't have a good spot to see new moons. So I started trying to see how old a moon I could see. And we went out and tried to see this one. Uh, my wife and I back before we were married. And it was so cool to see this. We had tried to see it. We couldn't get it. And we were driving home and she caught it between the trees from, from a look off. And we pulled off. Took out the binoculars and it was like broken. You you didn't get like any kind of crescent at all. All you saw was just the mountain peaks that were on like the edge of the moon. It was spectacular.
1: Oh wow. That's such a unique view. Y- yeah, I was
0: shocked. And we could see it, like we could see the moon just like a dark orb in the sky. And then just this barely could you even see any of the illumination, but Sometimes you get these ones. It's uh, four degrees high, pretty low, but it's it's a fair distance from the sun, the way this one lines up. I think it's well <laughs> worth
1: trying for. Yeah, absolutely.
0: June 18th, we have the new moon and it's pretty close to the summer solstice, Summer solstice, which happens just three days later or three evenings later. And on that night, on June 21st, we have this great triangle. Have you heard about this great triangle? Uh, just looking at it now. It's kind of neat, eh? Yeah. So we're going to have Venus, the Moon, and Mars forming this triangle that are separated by about three and a half degrees mm-hmm. uh, each of them, and it's I, I think it's going to look pretty cool in the sky. This again is one of those things that when you run it, I'm getting I'm getting the handle after doing these for three years now, Shane. I can look at my software and say that's going to look cool, and I think this is going to be one of those things where in the software it kind of looks a little neat. But I think if you went out, the idea that you can take a regular pair of binoculars that have a five and a half or six degree field of view and point it at this trio of the moon, Venus, and Mars, the two planets in our moon, and the crescent moon looking quite nice, by the way, and see all of those in the same binocular field at the same time. And in fact, With some of our smaller wide field telescopes, we'll be able to see all three of those targets in the same field at the same time. And what will be neat is to compare the crescent shape of Venus with the crescent of the moon at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very neat. June 26, we have the first quarter moon and the lunar straight wall visible. I, I put that image that Jim had sent us there last month of that lunar straight wall cutting across that escarpment. And I just think that's, that's such a great shot that he sent us. Just a reminder, people should go out and try to take a look that June 26th. Maybe it's a little smoky. Hopefully the smoke is long gone by then. My fingers are crossed. We get some good rains in the right places for people. And then on that night, we can take a look at the moon because we'll still be under perpetual twilight in that evening.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: June 28th, Venus and Mars, they get even a little bit closer at three and a half degrees apart. So that is just close enough that in my lowest power eyepiece and my four-inch refractor, I would be able to just barely squeeze them in, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that You're getting close there.
0: <laughs> it'll do. It'll do. I, I have 3.63 degrees true field, so <laughs> it'll do it. It'll do it. And the ta- the Takahashi can work miracles. So it'll do it. And then I put an image of, of that in. I, I looked up and Shane, I could not see that there was any bright comets this month. I think we're, we're out of luck for comets for a little while. I think there's supposed to be a bright one. I was looking up bright comets and next really bright one's supposed to come along in like 2024, September, October kind mm-hmm. of timeframe. We have a few brighter ones that are, Mm-mm. trucking along for hopefully good, good, reasonable binocular and telescope views later on this year. But right now we we don't have any bright comets at all that I could find anyway.
1: Yeah. You know, we're, we, unless something changes and like we've mentioned before, comets are highly unpredictable and can, and can sometimes flare up unexpectedly. Unless something like that happens, there's really nothing, that will be super bright, uh, anytime soon. Now there's certainly comets to observe if you have some, you know, telescopes and optics that, uh, or, you know, probably a telescope and a dark sky is really what would be needed for, for a number of these comets. Cause they're, you know, uh, a lot of them are double digit magnitudes. So. Yep. yep.
0: Yeah. I think the brightest one I found was 10.9 visible only from the Southern hemisphere. So I was like, not putting it in. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Do you have anything to add to the end of our episode?
1: Uh, the only thing I'll say is that the show notes for this episode will be available on our website, www.actualastronomy.com. Uh, so just uh, we, we always post the show notes for this episode just as a good reference so that you don't have to feverishly write everything down or try to remember everything that was said.
0: Yeah. I know we've had a few requests for the show notes and I was looking at one of the requests today from Tom Advis, and uh, I felt bad. I, I sent him some detailed replies because I don't think what he was looking for was actually in the show notes anyway. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. wouldn't have mattered if those were posted or not. He would have still been chasing after us for the information. If people do ever want more information about the show or the show notes, and we we haven't, it, it would be. I think it would be too difficult to post them all. And often the information maybe that you're looking for, you might not even find it in the show notes anyway. So just send us an email to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Always happy to hear from people. And I'll take a look at the show notes. Um, They're just on my Google Drive. And if it's in there, I have no problem sending them out to people. Mm -hmm. But in general, like if you're looking for something specific uh, outside of these shows, then please just uh, just reach out and we'll we'll try to get you whatever information we can provide. We're not holding anything back here.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Anything else to add to the show, Shane? That's a good point. Yeah, no, that's it, Chris. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe and do us a favor of sharing the show with other Stargazers, you know. Thanks for listening. And you can always reach us at actualastronomy at gmail.com.